Well, good morning, Grace. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be sharing God's word with you this morning. There are two extremely powerful words in the English language, and they are really, I've discovered the power of these over the course of my life for good and for bad. You see, when, when spoken to me, they've caused a lot of pain, but they've also been involved in some of the finest and most enjoyable moments of my life as well. Two powerful words, sometimes combined in a contraction, okay, let's, or let us, let us. You see, these, these words, they have gotten me into a lot of trouble, okay? A lot of things that happened that I wish didn't happen, all because somebody said, hey, let's go over there. Let's take a drive. Let's see if we can pull this grocery cart behind the pickup truck with a ski rope with Jason in it. Okay, you know, normal stuff. Injuries, regret I'm not quite comfortable with. Right, if you've ever heard these words, there's been pain, right? Let's see other people. Let's break up. Let's dissolve the company. Let's call it quits. Now, it's not all bad. Again, there have been some, a lot of positive too, right? Let's go to dinner to that young lady you want to get to know. Let's take a trip. Let's go to the game. Let's get married. Let's, let's have a baby. Let us. It's a beautifully powerful phrase because it implies an us. It's plural. There are people with me. There's community baked into this because I think deep in our souls is the desire, a God-given desire to want to be a part of an us, to be included. Well, the passage we're gonna look at this morning is full of a number of these let us phrases, these together phrases. So let's take a look at it, yeah? You see what I did there? All right. If you have your Bibles and you wanna follow along, we're gonna be in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, and we're gonna start in verse 19 here in just a moment. The author of Hebrews is going to three times use these two very powerful words over the course of four sentences. And it's in a section that is serving as the hinge point of his entire book. In this section, he is shifting from kind of high and lofty theological topics about all that Jesus is and all that he's done. And then he's moving now towards let's do something because of that. Hey, because of all of this, let us. And today I want to look at those three let us moments, three powerful messages of purpose and togetherness that I think would be wise for us to consider this morning. Now, I do think as we dig into this amazing passage of scripture, it would be helpful for you to understand a few things about the book of Hebrews as a whole before we dig into this specific passage. Because if you can understand the moment that these original readers were, were in, you might be able to understand this in a, in a very powerful way, right? What kind of moment were they in? What is, why is the author of Hebrews telling them to do these three things? This message is gonna be critical for them, and I think if we can enter the moment with them, critical for us as well. The book of Hebrews is a letter. It's a letter written to a group of believers with a very Jewish background and religious tradition. And they are wondering, is Jesus, is following Jesus Christ really worth it? They're most likely urban Christians living in a very pluralistic environment, and their Christian commitment has begun to bring them some marginalization, some hostility some discomfort because of this newfound faith. And many of them are discouraged about whether they should kind of stay the course in following Christ. It's beginning to cost them something. It's not very easy, right? The other way would be a little less expensive. 
And so the author loves them and he, he wants to help them. And so he's going to write them a letter and he's going to use their language. He's going to use their rich religious tradition and he's going to quote the Old Testament over and over and over again and try to convince these people that Jesus Christ is exactly what the Old Testament was pointing towards all along. He is the epitome of everything of their religious tradition. And he's the better version of all of this. It's one of the big themes of the book of Hebrews is that Christ, he's better. And so the basic outline of the passage that we're going to look at this morning is this. The first few sentences, the author is in verses 19 through 21, the author is going to be kind of summing up the big theological truths that, have, uh, that he's been going through for the last nine and a half chapters. All the ways that Jesus is better. He's making kind of a summary statement. And then in verses 22 through 25, he's going to give them three exhortations, right? Because of these truths, this is how you should act. Because of all that Jesus is and all that he's done, it now compels a different kind of living. Let's take a look at it. Let's start with verses 19 through 21. He starts, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Real quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time in this particular section, but it's a very dense set of verses. And they're basically serving as a summary of, the, again, the previous nine and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews and the superiority of Jesus Christ. He's, he starts with a reminder that you can uh, come with confidence to God, with boldness, because you possess Christ's righteousness and not your own. Right? What used to have a keep out sign now says, come in. And the author says, look, take full advantage. Use all the benefits. You've been given a backstage pass. You've been given all access, all the benefits of the country club, right? So use them. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but uh, one time in my life, I've been to one of these all-inclusive resorts, okay? And the basic premise of these is you pay like a flat rate and everything is included. They literally can't tell you no from what I understand, okay? And so when you're there, you do everything. I mean, you eat. Doesn't matter if you're hungry or not. If the food's there, you eat it. Okay, you do all of the activities you can possibly do because you only have so much time and you've already paid for it all. Right, wring every last possible drop out of that experience that you can. The author of Hebrews might say, why would you spend 10 hours in your room watching reruns of The Office when you have all of this at your disposal? You've been given something. You've been given access, privilege to have a relationship with the God of the universe. And so because of all that Jesus is and because of all that he's done, let's do some stuff. These are going to be the natural and right implications of these truths. And you're not going to be able to do it solo. It's going to be a, a group project. Let us do these things together as believers. And so we get to, in verses 22, our three kind of exhortations, our three let us statements, but again, built on the foundation of verses 19 through 21 and the previous nine and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews. So let's take a look at these one at a time and let's consider them this morning. Consider them for our own lives, but also for our collective lives. The first, he instructs them by saying, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Now, one of the things you might need to know here is that uh, these original readers might have read this instruction and went, you, you can't seem to, you, you, you don't mean to say this, do you? Like all of our religious tradition and history has told us that God is holy and majestic and omnipotent, 
right? You can't just approach God, right? We know what happened to Moses when he caught just a, a passing glance of the backside of God. We know what happened to Isaiah when he was in the temple and he was undone by the presence of God. And you're telling me that I should draw near? Verse 22 might have come to a shock to these original readers. It says this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The author is simply saying, look, you can draw near to God because of what Jesus has done, you can draw near. He says, look, you're gonna need to come to him in a certain way. And he's gonna use a lot of word pictures and metaphors in that verse from their religious tradition to help it kind of sink in. But he says, look, you need to come to him with a true heart. And that word true in the original languages has this idea of just complete sincerity, complete honesty, no, no hypocrisy, no ulterior motives. There's no pretense. There's, there's no need to uh, have PR or image curation with God. You can come to him exactly like you are. You can draw near. The author is telling him, look, what used to be the privilege, the awe-inspiring privilege of one person on one day a year entering the presence of God is now the privilege of every person in the faith community. You can come to him. Earlier in the book of Hebrews in chapter four, he says you can boldly approach the throne of grace. And we can do it with confidence because of what Jesus has done. And so as I was thinking about this concept of drawing near and how I might be able to illustrate that for you, there's one thing and how we might be able to do it as in us, there's kind of one thing that kind of came to my mind. It's actually my nine-year-old daughter. So my nine-year-old daughter, she still likes to cuddle with me, okay? It is the coolest thing in the world, okay? I don't take it for granted. It is one of the best things ever. But let me tell you one thing for sure. This little girl, she knows how to draw near. When it's time to cuddle, Okay, she is going to get right up underneath this arm. She is going to put her head on my chest and she, her little pointy elbows are gonna get every rib of mine. And I love it. She's in there deep. She knows how to draw near. And if I could use that as an illustration today, when, when is kind of the last time you cuddled up? When is the last time you drew near? Do you have a, a pattern of this in your life where through prayer or Bible study or quiet moments of the Lord or Sabbathing or singing worship songs, whatever it is, do you have a, a pattern in your life where you are looking for every opportunity possible to draw near to God, to cuddle up with him? The author of Hebrews would say, look, Jesus Christ has made a way for you to do that. Why? why would you stay at an arm's distance when you've been given so much access, so much privilege? Use, use all of the amenities. And the friends, the author of Hebrews says, let us, let us do that together. There's a beauty in us collectively doing this all at the same time together. You see, one of the things that happens is when I, when I hear about or see the connection you have with God, and I see the time you've spent with him and I hear about the things the Lord is doing in your heart and life, oh, it encourages me. It gives me a picture of what I might be able to have. It gives me an understanding of what, what might be at my disposal with a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and hopefully vice versa as I draw near. There's this reminder that, oh, I can have that too. I can have that connection and relationship with the God of the universe who loves me. And so let's do this together.
Let us, let us draw near. Next, the author of Hebrews tells his readers, look, because of all that Jesus has done and because of all that he is, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. The author here is addressing one of the major concerns he has for these people, that they would give up, that they would walk away, that they would fall away from their commitment to Christ and settle for a shadow of the real thing instead of the actual real thing. They wouldn't enjoy the access and privilege that they've been given. And so he encourages them to hold fast. In verses 24 and, or verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's a lot of really great stuff in this verse. That, that verb hold fast is used in the present tense. It means to imply that I am continually doing this. This is not just something I've done in the past. I will, I will be doing this ongoing in an ongoing way. That without wavering phrase, sometimes your translations may read unswervingly because it has this idea of, no, this is straight. It will not bend. And the author, I love this verse, he actually tries to answer the natural implied question of this verse, right? How on earth am I gonna be able to hold fast? Like in a world of discouragement and disillusionment and persecution maybe and opposition and just the realities of a broken world, how is it even gonna be possible to hold fast? He says one phrase, look, he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You can hold fast without wavering because he who promised, you can stand on his promises. And so let us together, because of all that Jesus is and all that he's done, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Now, the one phrase I want to make sure we define here is the confession of our hope. What does he mean by that? And I think the author is really talking about the simple truths of the gospel, the, the reason any of us have any hope at all that once we were far from God, broken and desperate, and that Jesus Christ, by his blood, provided a way for men and women from every tribe, nation, and tongue to be reconciled to him. And he rose from the dead to prove that he was exactly who he claimed to be. And you and I, friends, can have reconciliation and relationship with the God of the universe through faith alone and by a free gift alone. That. That is the confession of our hope. Let's hold fast to it. Now, as I considered this and how I was gonna apply this to my own life, I began to answer or ask some questions to myself because one of the things I'm realizing more and more these days is that we're, we're entering, I think, or we're on our way towards a new season. I think most of Christian history and has been full of men and women who it, it, it costs them something to follow Jesus. Right? We've, we've kind of come out of a season where uh, a Judeo-Christian worldview might have more closely aligned with broader cultural values, but those days are, are gone, friends. Okay, we, we're, we're leaving those days, and it's going to be harder to hold fast to the confession of our hope. And so it's a poignant reminder to us to hold fast, decide ahead of time that I will not, I will not bend on certain things. I will hold fast to the simple confession of my hope in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear here, okay? I, I want you to remember the kind of opinion, belief, conviction paradigm we talk about a lot here at Grace, okay? You need to know what belongs in certain categories. 
Okay, if you're going to hold fast unswervingly, it doesn't need to be about the, how the HOA handles the size of allowable yard signs next election cycle. Okay? You need, in the famous words of Elsa, you need to let that go. Okay? It's not, it's not worth it. That's not the confession of your hope. That's not what you're going to stand and hold fast on without wavering. No. You're going to stand with the confession of your hope. You're going to stand with a, with a firm backbone and as much grace and love as you can muster. And you're going to hold on to the confession of your hope. And the great thing about this is we, we're going to stand with, with great humility because the confession of our hope is that we don't do anything. That Jesus Christ has done it all. And so let's do that. Let us, let us hold fast to the confession of our, help, uh, of our faith. There is so much strength in numbers. This section actually reminded me of one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, it's, it's the story of Elijah. And Elijah has just come off a very difficult ministry season. He is wondering if he is the only one left serving God. He is running for his life. And in a quiet moment, he's having this kind of woe is me moment. Am I the only one left serving God? And in a, a beautiful and gentle moment, God speaks to him and says, Elijah, there are still 7,000 that have not bent the knee. There are still 7,000 who have not bent the knee. And it, it fortifies his soul for another season of ministry. What if, what if we could all collectively be a part of each other's 7,000? That we would hold fast together, that we would walk the narrow path that Jesus called us to walk, right? Not a wide boulevard, no parades on the narrow path. It is simply a long, single-file line of believers helping each other out along the way. But friends, when I see you holding fast, oh, it gives me so much strength. When I know there are brothers and sisters who are holding fast. When I was thinking about how to illustrate this concept for you, my, my mind immediately went to elementary school field day. Okay, are you there with me? It's time for the tug of war. Okay, I got to witness one of the, by the way, this is like one of the most primal things we put our kids through, okay? All right, so I witnessed one of these this last spring and it was a beautiful picture of this, right? A bunch of fourth graders, nine and 10 year old boys and girls, fully engaged, their whole bodies, all their energy, working together, straining, not letting go with this attitude, you will not move us. My friends and I, we will get this done. Their success was in the hands of each other. They're depending on each other to not let go. And oh, the celebration when they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. This is how it looked. That's great stuff. I need you to hold the rope with me, friends. I need you to hold fast. In the tug of war of our souls, maybe all it takes is a couple of people letting go, a couple of people not really being into it and not really giving their best effort, and our team's in trouble. Now, I do want to say, you, you may be barely holding on. You, you may be struggling and tripped and trying to find your feet and trying to get back to that rope. 
Maybe you're not contributing as much as you wish you could. But hold on, friends, and we will, we will celebrate one day. We will celebrate one day in eternity if we hold fast to the confession of our hope. Because of all that Jesus is, and because of all that he's done, let us, let us hold fast. And then the final exhortation he gives these believers, the final let us, he says, let us consider each other. Let us consider each other. I want to spend a little bit of time on this one this morning as we end because it strikes me as very timely, especially with kind of how I see uh, many believers like valuing or devaluing and treating the kind of communal life of the local body of believers. Verse 24 and 25 read this way, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He instructs them to consider each other, to think about, to notice, to observe, to pay attention to, to give thought to how I'm going to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. And he uses this word stir. And in the original languages of that time, this word stir is actually used in in most of the literature of that day and age. It's used in a very kind of negative connotation. There's this strong sense of irritation. And the author of Hebrews uses this kind of normally negative word and kind of uses it for a positive motivation. He's kind of, it's it's a very unusual word choice, which makes this very striking. He says, I'm called to lovingly irritate you with purpose. It's a very strong term because I'm going to need to be stirred up. The natural bent of my heart is not towards love and good deeds. I'm going to need to be stirred. It will not happen by accident. And so I'm supposed to, as a believer, consider you. I'm supposed to show up this place having given you thought, right? What does David need tonight? What does Jennifer need to be stronger in her faith? I've spent time thinking about how I might help you. How can I help Bob be less angry or anxious? How can I help Sarah get through that spiritual barrier that she can't seem to break through and I'm not sure she even sees it yet? How can I help Frank get rid of some of this bitterness in his heart because it is driving everyone away? How do I help Sarah find deep peace during her kind of difficult life circumstances right now? There's something mutual going on here. I've considered you and you've considered me because I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm trying my best to become like him in every area of my life. And so there are gonna be times when I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to lovingly irritate me with purpose. To with much love and patience, having demonstrated uh, kindness and love to me over and over and over again, stand before me and say, say something I need to hear and not something I might want to hear. This, this is the kind of action that belongs in the Christian community. It belongs in the, in our, in a, in a big church like ours, it kind of belongs in the smaller environments that we find ourselves here at Grace. It belongs in the us. And this passage is calling you and I towards serious thinking about other Christians for the purpose of stirring them up towards love and good deeds. And the only way this is going to happen, he says, is by not stopping meeting together. 
you're going to need to continue the regular and rhythmic meeting together with purpose for mutual encouragement and discipleship. Now, this is a very powerful instruction to the original readers because the reason he's writing this is because many of them had stopped meeting with their local group of believers out of this desire or fear of persecution and what it was costing them to follow Jesus. In some ways, it was kind of an understandable desire to want to escape persecution, right? I don't, I don't want to attract attention to myself. I'm, I'm kind of, sometimes I'm a little bit ashamed to be identified with the church. This all sounds familiar to me. But I'm here to consider you in a world full of discouragement and discouragers. I have a duty and an obligation to my brothers and sisters in Christ to consider how I might be able to stir them up towards love and good deeds. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote it this way. Christ works in us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, wrote it this way. The, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. There's actually, <clears throat> excuse me, there's actually a great illustration from nature itself. You may or may not know this, but the, the giant redwood forests of the Western United States, all right, their, their height and weight are actually um, in part mainly supported by a system of interlocking roots, okay? This is what it looks like around it. This is what it looks like. It's a great metaphor, a great picture of the way we as believers need to have interlocking roots with one another. If we're going to have any chance ourselves to withstand the enormous weight of the call that we've been given, our efforts to live a life of love and good deeds. You're never going to see a redwood alone and by itself because it has already fallen down. And in another sense, there's a sense in which you're going to have to knock us all over because we are intertwined with one another. The author of Hebrews, if he was writing to us today, he might say in a very pointed way, what's keeping you from regularly meeting together? What's, what's keeping you from interlocking yourselves with other believers in Jesus Christ? And is it worth it? Friends, we, we need everyone here at Grace showing up in our smaller context and spurring and stirring one another up towards love and good deeds. And so he commands these believers, don't give up meeting together. Now, I want to be as... I think as kind and as charitable as I can because I don't know every individual situation in this room today. But if you are in the habit of only coming to the more or less anonymous, bigger meetings of our church where there's not much getting to know you, going deeper in relationship, not much accountability or this stirring up one another, you're missing something. The author of Hebrews would say, you're in a habit that you don't want to be in. You're missing the us. Because the end is approaching. And lone, the day is drawing near, he says, to conclude this verse. And the Lone Ranger Christian, he won't make it in those days because he won't have the support he needs. Friends, you, you need some kind of regular participation in some kind of smaller group of believers so that they can help you, so they can stir you, so they can encourage you towards more love and good deeds, and you can do the same for them. 
so that you might be able to become more like Jesus Christ and they might be able to do that as well. And it's always messier with other people. It always takes a lot of effort, but it's worth it in the long term. So how do we apply this one? How do we consider one another? I do wanna say really quickly that I think sometimes this verse has been used in the past to beat people up or to guilt and shame them into never missing church, okay? I don't think that's the purpose here, but I think what he is saying, the principle behind what he's saying is this, is he's, he's challenged you to say, where do you have consistent involvement in the life of a church or your little version of that, right? Some kind of smaller group. Question isn't how much are you up here or you know, whether you miss or not occasionally. The real question is where are you meaningfully engaged in the life of the body of Christ on a regular basis? Do you have people? Do you have an us where you can practice the three things he just laid out? And so I think the number one way you might be able to apply this is to find a group, recommit to a group. Start your own group. Find two or three people who are serious about their faith and start your own. But it's my firm belief that you will need a consistent and purposeful group of people that you meet with and hopefully stick with somewhat long-term so that you can be spurred and stirred towards love and good deeds. You will not be able to do this alone. I'm even, I'm even more convinced of that after the last couple of years that we've lived through. And so I'll, I'm just gonna keep going down, swinging and pleading with you to make the community of faith a priority in your life. Not so that we can have more people coming here. I think if you've been around Grace long enough, you, you, you know us, it's not how we're keeping score. It's not how we're measuring success. But so that you could have a group of people that you could have an us that might help you become more like Christ in your life. So you might have the ability to do the three us's that the author of Hebrews just laid out, that you could let us with somebody. Now, one of the great things about grace is there are a lot of options, okay? We have adult communities that meet all over on Sunday mornings. We have men's and women's groups that meet during the week. CR on Thursday nights is fantastic. Reengage on Monday nights is a great place to go deeper with people. Sermon discussion groups from time to time so you can kind of dip your toe in the water without too much of a long-term commitment. Home groups and life groups that meet outside this place all over our city. We even have people who serve in kids and student ministry who are being proactive about how they engage with the people they're serving with. They're praying for one another. They're serving one another. They're talking about life as they serve. We have, we have tried our best as a church to provide a wide variety of these options. So find one. Try some out. Let's find you and us. Let us consider one another and not, not neglect meeting together because the day is drawing near. And so men and women of grace, because of all that Jesus is and all that he's done, let us, let us draw near and hold fast and consider each other. And let's, let's do it together. Let's do it together. Because I wanna tell you friends, let, let us draw near to God. My, my faith is so strengthened and encouraged when I see you drawing near. When I, when I show up here on Sunday morning or when I show up in some of the smaller contexts of our church, I am so encouraged. As you, as you draw near with no pretense, with sincerity of your heart running towards God, it, it fortifies my soul in a way I'm not sure I know how to explain. 
when you come into this room, even and do simple things, brothers, brothers and sisters, when you sing praise to God in this room with a true and genuine heart, oh, friends, I know I'm not alone. I have an us. And when you tell me about what God's doing in your life, and I hear about the way you're connecting with God, and I hear about the insights and what he's been teaching you, it strengthens my faith. And I hope, I hope that you would get the same from me. So let us draw near and let us, let us hold fast. Friends, my, my faith is strengthened when I see you holding fast to the confession of your faith and living that out in very real ways. When I see you clinging to those truths. And friends, I promise, I will do my best to not let go of that rope with you. I will do my very best. And there may be seasons where you or I Okay, are not pulling as much weight as we should. We're having trouble finding our footing. But I'm gonna get back up and I'm gonna grab on that rope with you so that you might be encouraged to do the same thing. And you might be encouraged to hold that rope with me. Let us hold fast. And let us consider each other, especially in light of the day drawing near. I will show up for you. I'll, I'll keep doing this. And I'll spend time while I'm away from you, considering you and thinking about you and praying for you about how I might be able to best stir you up towards love and good deeds. How I might be able to help you become more like Christ in all of your life. And I'm gonna need you to do that for me as well. So let's come to this place in all of our various meetings that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, in, in the rooms here, in living rooms all over our city, in the lobby, in the courtyard. Let us come having considered one another. Wherever you can. I, 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 just, I just love the us's that we're building here at Grace. I, just, I have the privilege of just knowing a little bit more of what's going on here at Grace because of my position on staff, and I love the us's. And I know it takes time to build that little family inside a bigger faith family like ours. And if I could wave a magic wand, I would instantly be able to give you all of this right away in abundance. It doesn't work like that. It takes a little while, so keep, please, keep trying. Let's find you a group. Let's find you a smaller group of people, a smaller context. Let's find you and us. Wherever you can, find a group of people who are doing their very best to draw near and hold fast and consider one another and join them. Let us, Grace, because of all that Jesus is and all that he's done, let us draw near and hold fast and consider one another. And let us, let's do it together. Let me pray for you. Oh, Father God, we, we come before you today and we are grateful for your word, how it instructs us and corrects us and encourages us, God, in our pursuit and our desire of becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, we stand in awe of the incredible access and privilege that we have been given to be able to come into your presence this morning and to do so with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are on this journey with us. God, would you help your word sink down in our hearts today? Would, Holy Spirit, would you take this time that we've spent together considering your word and have it do its work in our hearts? I'm grateful for these people, God. I'm grateful for the us I have with the gathered body here at Grace Covenant Church. 
Would you in your grace allow us to become an us that draws near together and holds fast together and considers one another and how we might grow together? And we ask these things and we come boldly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.